Now, hopefully, all of us who are here know that we have an enemy, deadly enemy, the devil, Satan, all of the other names that are used of him, which describe how he is. We have examined him rather thoroughly, I believe, analytically. The reality of the devil, the origin of the person who appears so mysteriously in Eden, his work. And now the question confronts us, how may we win? That is the question. That's a big question. That's used about all kinds of things, isn't it? Especially in sports. How may we win? And in uh, games, how may we win? I don't believe there ever was a person who got involved in sports or in games who sat down and said or got into the act such as tennis or some other sport well I'm playing but I don't want to win I doubt if any of you have ever said that as you started you probably went in with the ambition to win and a lot is made of being on the winning side. And the world uh, talks a lot about winners and compares them with losers. In fact, loser is used many times as a slang word for a person who really hasn't made much of his or her life. They are considered losers. So winning is something that we're all accustomed to hearing about and I'm sure wish for. Now in this spiritual battle, we want to be on the winning side, I'm sure. The problem with this is that we may have difficulty because of our natures and understanding to, to lay our hands on the enemy, to lay our hands on what he's really like and where he is and uh, it's like a shadow that we can't catch Some, someone who is spiritual he and his demons and their activity but nonetheless we have to go after it the Bible tells us that we are required to do so and uh, we will seek to answer this question beginning tonight how do we win and the first step in that is to note Jesus' victory. That is the first step, to note Jesus' victory. So we begin to win by looking back. Looking back for us almost 2,000 years ago. To the person called Jesus who lived here on this earth whom we believe to be the Son of God one with the Father and the Holy Spirit a member of the Godhead creator sustainer and coming judge who came from his eternal glory 
and condition, whatever that may have been, and appeared as a little baby coming out of the womb of a woman called Mary. Just a commonplace Jewish young woman. And as he grew up, he began to manifest that he was different than other babies who had come forth from mother's wombs and from other children and from other people. He began to demonstrate this through himself and also the father demonstrated by testifying to him and all of him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration where that glory from which he had come began to shine through his person much to the excitement of the disciples and especially Peter who wanted to stay up there and have a convention. This is the person we have to look back to He was in all points tempted like as we are. He was also a true human being. When he did this, he took upon himself a, a body like we have, and a true human spirit. This is a, the mystery of what is called the incarnation. God in flesh. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Haley incarnate deity is how one poet put it. The devil hated him as much as he had ever hated him. The devil hated him from his fall in eternity before there ever was the universe as we know it or our world or anyone else or anything else. The devil hated him still. The devil will hate him always. The devil and his host will hate him in hell eternally. So therefore Jesus was immediately attacked. And all of us know well the story of the temptation in the wilderness. Now let's look at some verses that tell us about Jesus' victory. For it's on the basis of his victory that his people win. This is a very important truth. So we don't begin, first of all, by looking at ourselves and our personal struggle with the devil. We look at the Savior whom we profess and his defeating the devil. 1 John 3.8 This write-off tells us why the Son of God was manifested. Why he came from heaven to earth. Why he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he might destroy the works of the devil. 
That's plain enough. And he did. Matthew sixteen eighteen. He gave a forecast. He said that he would build his church. Notice, he said, I will build my church. Didn't say that Peter would build it. Here again we have a myth of Rome that the Pope and Popes of Rome are the successors of Peter. One of the main problems with that is that Peter never was in Rome. So that's wipe out immediately. No, he's speaking of himself when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They'll not be able to hold up against it. I will win. My church will win. Mark 1, 23 and 24. Listen to one of, or actually, a group of demons. This man is described in Mark 1.23 as having an unclean spirit. But there's a plurality of demons in this man. And they say, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And by this, of course, they're admitting that he had the power to destroy them. That he was a winner. And they were afraid. And they made a confession that many liberals don't make. These demons said, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Many uh, so-called theologians deny that, while demons confess it. They say he was just a mere man. So the demons in that respect were actually wiser than many liberal theologians of our time and through the ages. But they knew that he was over them and that he was having the victory. John fourteen thirty. These are verses that speak about Jesus' victory. And he could say, pertaining to himself, that the prince of this world, that's Satan, the devil, hath nothing in me. And that means had no hold in him at all. You remember how he had a hold in Peter? Remember how he had a hold in Judas? Remember how he had a hold in Ananias and Sapphira? Remember we used those? 
Jesus said, no hold me. No hold. No foothold. Not the, the tiniest hold of me. I have complete victory over him. And then in John twelve thirty one. Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Not just Jews, but Gentiles also. Not just people living in Palestine, but people living to the uttermost part of the earth. Victory. Prince of this world cast out. John sixteen eleven. Talks about the Holy Spirit's coming. He says one of the things the Holy Spirit will do, he will reprove the world of judgment. And uh, that simply means that he will convince the world that there is judgment. That's what the word reprove means in this case. And what will that be? Because the prince of this world is judged. That's why he is shown to be who he is. The devil, Satan. And my enemy whom I have defeated. Over whom I have gained the victory. Then in Acts 26.18... message preached there by Paul as he relates how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus is that the commission that was given to him was to open the eyes of the Gentiles, verse 18, Turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And these words are based upon the work of Jesus' victory. As Jesus defeated the devil, so he is able to deliver people from the power of Satan unto God. If he hadn't won, no one would be able to win. But his people win on the basis of his winning. Matthew twelve twenty nine. Matthew twelve twenty nine.
Jesus uses an illustration. They had accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, verse 24. And Jesus then said, verse 28 of Matthew 12, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind a strong man, and then he will spoil his house? And that's what Jesus did with the devil. He bound him, and because he has bound the devil, he is able to take the elect out from under the devil's power. Thank the Lord for that. Luke 11, 21 and 22. Amazing how much there is about Jesus' victory in the history pertaining to him. In fact, it's amazing what you discover when you really begin to use the Bible and look up all that's said about any given subject, isn't it? It's amazing how much there's in there many times about a subject you might not have considered that thoroughly hitherto. 11, 21, 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a strong and he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, or any trust it, and divideth his spoils. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The devil. Came in and uh, overcame him that he might take his own out from under him. If Jesus hadn't come and had the victory, that could never have been done and none of us would be saved. Matthew 13, 30. Matthew 13, 30. Here is the victory. The disciples had a propensity to take things into their own hands. Because there were tares found amongst the wheat. But Jesus said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. That's the final victory. Over the devil, over the demons, and over the reprobate, which is further described in Matthew 25, 41. For we see what is to happen to the devil and those who belong to him. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, that's the reprobate. That's the non-elect. Who are left to live and die in their sins. He will say to them, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the victory. God has already prepared a place for that first rebel. 
That's why rebellion is such a dangerous thing. That's why the, the Bible says it's like witchcraft. Rebellion is the most dangerous thing. We need to keep that in mind, especially consider a, a, a truth like we were considering this morning. If that rebellion continues and stiffens, it just gets worse and worse. And this is prepared for the devil and his angels as well as the reprobate. It's the victory. Jude verse 6 Jude verse 6 And the angels which kept not their first estate, that's the devil and those who followed him in the rebellion against God, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That's the victory. The devil can go no further than God permits him to go. The demons can go no further and God permits them to go. The reprobate can go no further than God permits them to go. And then the day will come when they will be put into the fires of hell. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah were, according to verse 7. You know, we need to get stirred up by this because we we are so conscious of physical suffering many times, especially in others as we see it. And we look at them and we pity them and uh, we say just how terrible it must be. And Ken and I saw a young woman the other evening without arms and has to do everything with her feet. You might say, well, that's wonderful. She'll learn to do everything with her feet. But what a, what a lifestyle. What a struggle. Beautiful, beautiful girl. Looking at her from the neck up, just like a picture. And yet, this is how she was. And we have a propensity to, to be sad about that. And we think, oh, that's a terrible affliction. Well, that's nothing compared to hell. You know, we get out there... We see all these dandies running around around us day by day and everything looks so great and they dress well, they move well, they speak well, they sell well. Here they are, this is what they're like before God and this is where they're heading. And it's all part of Jesus' victory. Especially those who know something of him and maybe have professed his name. How are they going to be? Their hell is probably going to be worse than those that never heard, never knew, or never made a profession. They'll be caught in this victory of Jesus over them. Terrible thought, isn't it? No wonder Paul is so concerned about his fellow countrymen as even to say that it's such a heart for their salvation he wished that he himself could be cursed. Take their place. 
1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our own strength and effort. Through our studying the scriptures and praying fervently. Through our attending all the means of grace. Through the support of fellow brothers and sisters. Now you know that's a perversion if ever there was one. doesn't say that, does it? It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we may expect the victory. We find Paul in Romans 7, 25. Lamenting his spiritual condition. In Romans 7.24, says it's like a dead body strung around his neck. That's how he felt about himself and his sinfulness, his nature. However, he says, in spite of that, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, which is a description of the Christian. He's no longer as he was. He's different. Though he's still a sinner, he has been born again. At first he was a sinner without the Holy Spirit. Now he is a sinner with the Holy Spirit. So now he has the Holy Spirit working in him, and he lives that new life. It's all on the basis of Jesus' work. Notice that. Jesus' victory. I remind again of the words that uh, our cousin kept repeating. Uh, David McCulkin, Ireland, after he'd suffered that terrible cancer for many months, was just writhing in pain and suffering through it breaking the hearts of all around him, and yet at the same time lying there testifying. And he kept saying, don't allow the prince of the power of the air to distract your mind at this point. He kept saying, no condemnation. What was David realizing? Well, David was realizing that he was a sinner. He was realizing that he deserved to be condemned. And he was realizing that he deserved to go to hell as every other sinner does. But he was also realizing that there was no condemnation because he was in Christ Jesus. He had lived that life that God requires in Jesus. <laughs> and he had suffered the hell that he deserved in Jesus. That's the way to die, isn't it? You better know that when you come to die. Better not be looking at self or others. You're not going to find any help. You better know that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have called upon him. 
and that what he was doing, he was doing for you. And that his victory then is the ground of your victory now. It's a wonderful message. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. That's why the writer to the Hebrews tells them to look unto Jesus. A lot of people are watching you. A great cloud of witnesses. Because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Easily. We fall into sin easily. However, let us run with patience the races set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Look at self, failure, sinfulness, disappointment, defeat. Look at Jesus, sinlessness, and victory. What a difference. So you keep looking unto him. Because he won. He did not surrender to the devil in any way. Whatsoever. Now he has his reward. After he had endured the cross, despised the shame of that, didn't look upon the shame attached to it, didn't consider it, just, as it were, put himself on that altar of the cross. Just like uh, Isaac was put on the altar by Abraham. Now he's in heaven, in a place of honor, back to where he came from, the right hand of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. You have not had to suffer as Jesus suffered for sin. But he did, and he won. Our first parents lost. They were defeated. Satan came in. Eve yielded to his deception. Adam followed her. All of mankind fell on them. Losers. But in Hebrews 4.15 read Jesus was different. He is the priest of his people. And I've often said I'm glad he's my priest. I wouldn't want to be relying on some man-made, man-appointed priest of any kind. Whether it be Roman or Anglican or Hindu or some other kind of priest. I'm glad this is the person who is my priest. And uh, he was in all points tempted like as we are. Like as Adam and Eve were. Eve especially. The difference is. Adam and Eve sinned. He is without sin. What a difference. What a difference. They lost. Jesus won. 
and tempting Jesus, of course, Satan addressed his consciousness of divinity. He appealed to him as God because he knew he was God, if thou be, if thou be. Jesus didn't buy that. He didn't fail like he failed. Didn't buy the devil's lie. Jesus punctured Satan's lies with truth. That's how you puncture Satan's lies with this. So it is this victory which secures the Christian's victory. Jesus' obedience is the ground upon which the Christian stands in his battle with sin and Satan. He knows that he may fall, but though down, not out, Jesus' perfect obedience has atoned for his sins. If you didn't know that, just think how you would feel. But the whole meaning of having Jesus as your Savior is just that. And in spite of what you are, a sinner, and in spite of the sins which may have flowed from you and may yet and deserve only God's wrath and hell unmitigated by any mercy, Jesus satisfied the Father on your behalf by being victorious in your stead. And that victory is transferred to you as a free gift. That's the good news. That's the gospel. So though we may fall, and though we may stumble, we're not out for Jesus' sake. The Father has accepted his perfect obedience to cover my imperfect obedience. His sinless obedience to cover my sin-tainted obedience. For all will be sin-tainted because of what I am. That's why someone like Luther, as much as you may disagree with him in some points, he was right in many others, and he said, the main problem is not a matter of doing, but a matter of being. That's correct main problem is our nature and then from the nature springs the sins spring the sins the fruit from the root the main problem is the root I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity I am that by nature I shall die that way but for Jesus victory I'd be lost I'd be a loser who dropped into hell. And rightfully so. That's what Romans 5 is all about. Wonderful gospel. Wonderful gospel. Romans 5 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that God is at peace with us. This is not speaking about inward peace here. It's speaking about God's being pacified by the work of Jesus, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace 
wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Once more then, being now justified by his blood, that's not an eternity, notice that. This isn't eternal justification. We're talking about something that's in time. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's all on the basis of Jesus' work and Jesus' victory. The graces of repentance and conversion are on the basis of Jesus' work. Every aspect of salvation is on the basis of his work. The Ordo Salutis, as it's politely called. All of the steps in salvation. The order of the steps. Regeneration. Justification. And adoption. Sanctification. All of that. On the basis of his work. So when we sin. When we stumble. We may arise and go forward. Knowing that in spite of those faults. In spite of that stumble. Heaven has been secured by Jesus. That's the whole meaning of the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. For as I've told before, we all belong in hell. I can remember well that meeting in Chicago that night when Mr. Solnir had the people in the meeting at Skid Row Mission, all those people sitting there say together, we all belong in hell. And one foolish Arminian was stupid enough to shout behind, not me. And what uh, Mr. Sonier was trying to tell them was that they were all sinners and deserved only hell at the hands of God. But the Arminian didn't get it because a little bit of Works righteousness in the Arminian. It's God's grace plus his faith. Or it's God's grace plus his repentance. It's God's grace plus his conversion. Or it's Jesus' work plus something he thinks or gives. No, it's not. It's Jesus' work. That's why we have all these gospel verses. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. course does not allow us to sin flagrantly, does not allow us to do what we want at any time we want. No, this should bind us to Jesus out of love for him who did so much for us, for those of us who belong to him. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he's chosen us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that's when, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. 1 John 1, 7. if we walk in the light as he is in the light we fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say that we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us my little children these things write out to you that you sin not and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See? The righteous. He is. So it goes on with this gospel. Jesus is my righteousness. I have none in myself. He is God's righteousness. He is the manifestation of God's righteousness. And I by the work of the Holy Spirit in me, I've been able to take a hold of that for myself. Just like the um, person throws out the uh, life belt to the person who's drowning. That's Jesus. And the person grasps it for life. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he enables one to take a hold of this. Do you understand this? That's the understanding given by the Holy Spirit. If you understand this, this isn't natural, this is supernatural. Jude verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And that's even stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's how I'm going to be presented. Faultless. There's going to be joy at that time. Even there is joy in heaven over one sinner that comes to repentance. Who is it? To the only wise God our Savior. See, he's the one. Glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. To him be the glory. Romans 8.33 A well-known ending to that chapter rings with the gospel. Gospel bells are ringing in Romans 8.33 and following. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God to justifieth. Who is he to condemneth? Is Christ died? Yea, rather is risen again, which is a sign of his victory. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? A standing atonement has been made in time by Jesus. 
or his own? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Sure, we might feel like sheep that are being led to the slaughter every day as we move amongst the ungodly. Nay, and all these things are more than conquerors. We have the victory. Why? Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, said Paul, convinced, mind and heart, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, there's Satan and his hosts, angels, principalities, you read about them in Ephesians 6, nor powers, nor things present, anything is happening right now, nor anything that may yet come, height, depth, any other creature, creature, some creature I haven't mentioned, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Want to know the love of God? God isn't some nebulous entity floating around out there. Love of God is not some mere emotion or affection. The love of God is Jesus coming and living and dying, making atonement for the sins of his people. And all that was entailed in that, total obedience to God's law, victory over the devil and his hosts, victory over every temptation and trial. For you who belong to him and for me. 2 Corinthians 2.14 How about that? How do you like that? Isn't that a great verse with which to end? What does Paul say? You read that and apply that to yourself. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Get your eyes on self. Many times you'll feel defeated and a loser. Get your eyes on Jesus. Every time you'll be a winner. So how thankful are you for Jesus tonight? That is really the test of being a Christian. Do you know that? In the final analysis? Good question to ask any person is who professes to be a Christian. Whom would you take or what would you take in place of Jesus? If the answer is anything or anyone else, that person has not yet understood the gospel. Has not yet been born again, is not a Christian. If the answer is no one but Jesus, then you've got it. Just like Spurgeon said, and again I, I quoted, I made a point when, when I found it to Make sure I tucked it in here. That I always have it. Because it's a piece that has 
meant so much to me over so many years when I first discovered it. I read it recently, I read it again. What the hand is to the lute, what the breath is to the flute, what is fragrance to the smell, what the spring is to the well, what the flower is to the bee, that is Jesus Christ to me. What's the mother to the child, what the guide in pathless wild, what is oil to troubled wave, what is ransom to the slave, what is water to the sea, that is Jesus Christ to me. So said Spurgeon. And he didn't know as much as some of us know, by the way. You know, Spurgeon gets a great name, but Spurgeon wasn't totally signed in his theology. One Puritan wrote, Richard Alline, 1611 through 1691, he wrote a piece called The World Conquered by the Faithful Christian. You can buy it. It's in the back of this little magazine here. And in it he said, A true Christian has his enemies under his feet, even while he's in the fight. He is a soldier as soon as he is a saint. And he is a conqueror as soon as he is a soldier. His very taking up arms ensures his victory. Puritan. So we pray. Lord, thank you for this word tonight. We pray that those of us who believe we have been saved may be so thankful for our Savior because salvation is all the Lord. And if there be those who as yet do not have that assurance, Lord, we pray that even tonight, through this preaching, you would give it to them. The day may have begun tonight to look at Jesus. As the Savior who came and lived and died to accomplish salvation for his people. To lay down his life for his sheep. His name we pray.